0: Pretty smart
1: ladies. Because <laughs> people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. So well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right?
0: Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground.
1: Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> on it. I mean, and I, I don't want to compare
0: my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Mm, this one's mm. a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Agreement with me, Catherine, and you, Michelle. We come to you each and every other week, and we bring you a, a thing—a weird thing, a pop culture thing, a pop culture thing, <laughs> and a research thing, and a research thing. <laughs> and then we fit them all together with what we are now very officially calling a fortune cookie tie it all together thing. Let's just get to it. Let's okay, do let's it. Go. You right. go first
1: this week, Michelle.
0: What is your weird thing?
1: So my weird thing requires a little backstory. Um, I think I've mentioned before on here that if not, I mean, I, I mentioned it to just about everyone. I'm very like, hey, I, I'm Michelle. I have an anxiety disorder. Um, so. like <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. So I have an anxiety disorder and what I have found, because I know lots of people with anxiety disorders, so many that I can't figure out if I'm like, oh, everybody has an anxiety disorder, or like, maybe it's just because I talk about it so openly that people feel like, oh, I can tell her. And like, I, so I don't know if I like attracts like, yeah, but anyway, I know a lot of people with anxiety disorders. And one of the most fascinating things about it to me is like the different ways that anxiety disorders, like Present themselves in people, so that we each get our own little idiosyncrasies, right? Out of it. Yeah. So my specific, one of my specific idiosyncrasies, as a side effect of my anxiety disorder, is that I always know how much of it, quantity of things there are in my house, right? Like, yeah. oh God, this hurts so much. <laughs> like I know to what level the hand lotion is, and how many. <laughs> so my brain um, tells me very loudly that we are running out of something when we are on the last one, even if it is something where the last one is the normal quantity to have. So like if I only have one bottle of lotion, but I just opened that bottle of lotion, my brain will go, well, we can't use that because we're we're out of it. And I'm like, we're not out of it. I literally just opened it and it's full. And my brain's like, no, you're not allowed oh. to use that one. And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to buy another bottle of lotion brain. We have this full one and my brain's like, fine, don't buy another bottle of lotion, but then you can't use that one. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so <laughs> those, those are the choices lady pick one. That is, that is a thing that m- my brain and I discuss on about everything like, Oh, you can't make that dinner. You only have one can of black beans, but it only takes one can of black beans. Except- but then you won't have
0: black beans. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry.
1: It's just I have
0: so many cans of black beans. I just on my shopping list added chickpeas, even though there are two cans of chickpeas. It takes two cans of chickpeas to make
1: my hummus recipe. What am I gonna do? What's my well, new hummus? And now that like my children are becoming more independent, they use things and I don't know about it. And I'm like, you're messing up the system. <laughs> like I have an internal list of all of the things that we have. And I use-
0: sometimes feel like a monster in my own house when my husband will come to me and be like, "Can I use this?" And it's like a bottle of beer that he wants to drink. And I'm like, why are you asking me? But it's because he knows that if he uses an amount of something that is in my brain. Ah!
1: Well, so imagine adding two more people to your using no. point. No, I think this is a
0: governing reason of why I've chosen <laughs> not to have children.
1: Because they use it. How them. do you do it? <laughs> So, all of that to say, I would be so
0: cruel to them. You stop it. You don't.
1: You don't open soap before a bath. <laughs> that is the backup soap. We don't you open don't that box. don't toothpaste, tooth. your teeth can rot. Okay, so toothpaste
0: is actually <laughs> the weird. Thing. See, see.
1: no idea why, but since the pandemic, I do not brush my teeth any more or less now that we're in lockdown. I'm glad you finished that
0: with or less. I was like, since the pandemic, I don't brush my teeth anymore. <laughs> no,
1: I brush my teeth <laughs> no daily, more or less multiple the times, same. just like I did prior to the pandemic. Got it. I don't use more toothpaste when I do it. My husband also brushes his teeth the same times every day that he did before the pandemic started, but we are using the toothpaste at a much higher rate. And it is breaking my anxious brains because, oh. because like, um, that particular I- like items like those, we do like the curbside pickup thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have like a, a system built in for like when we order that. And so it's not like before when I was like, oh, I'll just get it when we get like the week's groceries. Like we, like those, those sorts of like household goods we have on a different sort of schedule so that we don't have to do that with like the, the cold groceries and those things. And like, so my weird thing is mostly that like, why is the toothpaste going away so much faster than it used to? And Where is it going? Where is it going? What's happening to my toothpaste? But I had to tell you. Do you have any theories? about my anxiety brain so that you would know why I even knew that I was running out of toothpaste faster. Oh, I understand that so (laughs)
0: completely, so completely. It's, we had to rearrange our whole basement to become like a mini, I'm very proud of it. It looks like a mini um, store and, and I'm, the problem is that I am good at knowing the levels of everything. I'm good at caring in that same way, that I need backups. I can't use it if it's the last one. And yet I am terrible at organizing things, which is a very bad combination, which led to just bags of shit all over the basement floor. My husband is brilliant at organizing things. Oh my gosh, one of the happiest moments of my life was when he took a shelf in our basement and like, merchandise
1: day sure he's good at organizing them because his brain doesn't keep a list of it all so they've exactly. got to be able to see it It's see i don't need to organize it because i know exactly what's in each bag when i get like yeah
0: that's true he has to be able to see it all because he can't memorize it and yet i could have left him in all those bags and just known i will say what makes me laugh about you said everybody has their own distinct presentation of their anxieties i like how our um unique but overlapping anxiety disorders have resulted in being married to very similar people it's who true. are just chilled relaxed people who when we yell at them or do whatever about where are the bees? go. Eh, it's okay it's fine cool cool I, I can close my eyes and just go to sleep at night oh all the time we've
1: just, talked about that <laughs> we've talked about the just just fall asleep I have no theories about my toothpaste. I, I, it is absolutely mind boggling to me, but I am certain that it is happening. I am certain. Do you think we're all more stressed and you're just squeezing it harder and not realizing I, it? May, I mean, like maybe infinitesimally, maybe if it's every single time, I guess that might add up. I don't, Maybe we're in some sort of time rip because I can't keep track of what day it is so maybe like I actually am brushing my teeth more times per day because I'm reliving the day like there are some days that feel like they're about 80 hours long so maybe like yeah I don't know you're like mementoing it you need to start tattooing yourself
0: every time (laughs) toothpaste toothpaste 8 Unfortunately, I don't think you've kept up with your Doctor Who. So you haven't gotten to the episode where they have to start like making marks on themselves because they keep forgetting things. I have started again, but I have not okay. seen that. Episode. My weird thing, I'm gonna to try to automatically relate it. When you're standing in front, I I assume you brush your teeth at the sink. I do staring into like a mirror medicine cabinet kind of thing. At the beginning of March, there was a TikTok video. And so a month is like, maybe a whole year in TikTok time. It's already so old that people have forgotten it. But there was a really interesting TikTok saga that I was fascinated with by um, someone named Samantha Hartsoe found a mystery in her apartment.
1: Oh, I saw this one. Did you see this? Late. I was very late to the game. But yes, I did see it. I was like, why does that name sound familiar? Okay. But I hope, I hope you don't know the whole thing because this is the start of the
0: weird oh, thing okay. the finish. Okay. So the TikTok, which um, I'll link in the show notes to an article about that, is very interesting. Basically, she felt like a weird breeze in her apartment. She realized it wasn't from an event but it was from her medicine cabinet kind of mirror and realized that she could rip that out and behind it, was a whole other apartment space. Like this, she could just rip it out of the wall. There was a huge hole in her wall. She could climb in. There was kind of a hallway and it just opened up into an entirely new apartment, which is very interesting
1: and horrifying in many ways. When she went in there, the door to that other apartment was not locked. No, she she bolted it like it was uh, because it was like unfinished, right? Like it was a like, yeah, it looked like people might be squatting there.
0: And yeah, clearly people were in and out and the medicine cabinet wasn't well attached. So this was very scary. It made me very happy. I don't live alone in an apartment anymore like I did for a lot of my life. I don't know if I could have slept again, but surely this is some weird New York City apartment anomaly, Right. No, apparently this is insanely common what? as a an architectural feature of large apartment buildings especially in cities. This is in no way uncommon that you can have apartments connected by bathroom mirrors. Why? It is very common. Um one of the reasons is for plumbing access this kind of started as a way for plumbers to easily get in and out of pipes in the walls okay. okay so if you watch her video there's kind of an empty space that leads to another apartment that would be a way for plumbers to access plumbing to multiple apartments and so i learned this in an article from the chicago reader by stephen Bogira in 1987. and it was um called they came in through The Bathroom Window, and it is a fascinating article. I'm not going to go through the whole article. I will link it in the show notes, and I encourage everyone to read it. It is, but it suggests, and many other articles back this up, it is a wildly common occurrence, not only for there to be these linkages from apartment to apartment via the mirror, but for people to use them to break into apartments. And so, again, the article is fascinating. It's heartbreaking. It speaks a lot about, like, income inequality, mental health resources, lacking social structures when, you know, mental health resources are substituted by police in ways that they definitely should not be. And this is from, we said, 86? 87. 87, like whose murder counts and whose murder doesn't and how do we report on those murders? Cause it is a murder mystery as well, but long story short, it's a notable story in part because the murder centered around the assailant coming in through this woman's medicine cabinet. And it talks about the architecture of especially low income um, housing and apartment buildings where it's very common and people did it all the time would come in through those in and out in and out think about that when you're brushing your teeth everyone mm-hmm. where's the toothpaste
1: going maybe someone's sneaking <gasps> in through no, your I'm in a house you're in a house it's but... behind my mirror because it's part of my house so but Unless we're in some real weird like not only is it a temporal rip but also like a spatial one. I mean, I guess if all they're doing is stealing my toothpaste, because I would know if they were stealing anything else, because I've got a list in my head. Exactly. <laughs> it's all up here. I
0: <laughs> so
1: let's move on to pop culture. Okay. I don't know if this. Sufficiently counts as pop culture. It's a it might be a bit of a stretch. It's probably more just politics. And I don't even know exactly what I want to say about this. Maybe we can just I'll just see where the discussion takes us. But have you seen Coca-Cola and Delta statements that came, I think like today or yesterday, but certainly after the passage of the legislation in Georgia, right? Well, and after. Yeah. They both use the term crystal clear, which I think is very interesting. Um Because, so just to recap for anybody who is maybe not completely caught up on this, Georgia passed an absolutely horrendous attack on voting freedoms. Um, I, like, I don't even think it's partisan to just say that it is an obvious attempt to make it harder for people to vote, specifically people who live in dense urban areas and that it is very clearly punishment for Georgians having voted for the Democrats in the Senate. Like, I, I mean, I think that probably not, they, they probably won't say it out loud to you on the record, but even the people who support it will know that that's what it is doing, right? Like that is, that is what Behind this- closed doors,
0: That's why they did it. Right. And speaking of behind closed doors, right? Like they signed it behind closed doors that the woman legislator got arrested. And I know you said non-partisan, but like more partisan, right? Didn't didn't, um,
1: Biden call it like just blatant Jim Crow in the 21st century? So I, ironically, maybe, I don't know if that's the proper term for this. Um, So I lead a teen book club And I had to pick those books like over a year ago before I knew that there was going to be a pandemic or any of the things that have happened. I just picked a slate of books to read with these teens. And um, I I trade off with somebody. So I go back and forth between the tweens and the teens. So (laughs) last month I read um, a, a graphic novel called Drowned City, which is by a man named Don Brown. I don't, I'm gonna hold it up for you. I don't know if you, if you know Don Brown. Um, he does a lot of children's books, but he, they're like, he takes like historical events and turns them into graphic novels and they're Ooh. really accessible and beautiful Ooh. and powerful. And so that's beautiful. So for the tweens, which are, you know, between nine and 12, I had chosen to pair drowned city hurricane Katrina. That was our March read within, um, February, we read Esperanza Rising, which is the book about the um, Mexican girl whose family, her father gets killed and so they have to, they become immigrants into the United States and she goes from being very rich and wealthy and spoiled to being, you know, like, so I was like, oh, so I'll pair these with like Hurricane Katrina because it's about like what happens when your life gets turned upside down kind of thing. Um, not knowing that all the kids I was going to be reading this with would be in the midst of a pandemic where they hadn't been able to leave their house in a year by the time we got there. And so like, it was just, it's just been a really heavy time for this. And then this month I start back with the teens and I again picked pairs for April and May and my April selection is turning 15 on the road to freedom by Linda Blackman Lowry, which again, I picked this more than a year ago, so I had no idea that we would be reading this book in the midst of, oh, look at these blatant attacks on voting rights from the South. Because this is the story of um, Linda Blackman Lowry, who was the youngest marcher in the uh, march from Selma to Montgomery, and um, she was beaten in Bloody Sunday. The um, when they when you know SNCC and Martin Luther King were leading all of these voting rights activists actions but they specifically had children trained to go and do the marches because the children would just kind of be taken to the jail and then let let out again that night and like so there was less at stake for the kids than the adults but like less at stake didn't mean nothing at stake when bloody sunday happened she she was one of the people beaten she went to she went and did the march and like i just reading about it i i it's a very straightforward book. Like it is powerful, but it's not full of flourishes. It's not full of like emotional description. It's very much this woman just sort of recounting her memories as a 15 year old on this March. And it just, it caught me and I just burst into tears. Like I was, I was surprised by it. Like it just kind of caught me off guard and I was just crying as I read this. And, you know, my, my little four-year-old walks up to me, he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, we're doing so badly. How do you answer that? Like, like, like how did we get back here? Um, So I just, I was just, I'm just so disappointed that this legislation passed because it is so blatantly racist and discriminatory, I mean, Lindsey Graham, right, was on Fox News saying, "Yeah, that doesn't make
0: sense to me." How do you? Did you see that? No, there's a clip of Lindsey Graham, and they're talking about the not being able to give water to people or food in line, and Lindsey Graham goes, "Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me," because that's nonpartisan when, <sighs> and so.
1: My pop culture thing about this. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is pop culture. <laughs> uh. I've been really interested in how the corporations that are headquartered in Atlanta are being pressured to get oh,
0: I didn't think that they were they're in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So Coca-Cola and Delta, and apparently one other one that did not put out a statement, UPS. I think it's UPS. Mm just put out like a general, we support voting rights, but not like a, and this clearly doesn't. But Coca-Cola and Delta, both were under a lot of pressure to be like, come out against this legislation as it was being debated. And neither one of them did to the activists who were pressuring them's satisfaction, right? Like they were like, you know, you needed to do more. So both of them, it was either today or yesterday, very recently, which you all are listening to this in the future. So Recently plus a week. Yes. Came forward and said we want to be crystal clear and state unambiguously that we are disappointed in the outcome of the Georgia voting legislation. Throughout Georgia's legislative session, we provided feedback to members of both legislative chambers and political parties opposing measures in the bills that would diminish or deter access to voting. And then they have some more statements. But at the end, we all have a duty to protect everyone's right to vote, and we will continue to stand up for what is right in Georgia and across the country. And so they're very clearly now saying this Legislation is wrong, and we do not support it. um So now there's calls for them to be like, okay, so what? How are you going to hold them accountable? Like, are you going to, yeah, threaten to take your, you know, all your money that you make for the state elsewhere? Or are you going to threaten to unheadquarter? You know, like move your headquarters? Yeah. So I'm on record of saying that, like, because uh, I remember this when like Dove first started making like the body positive commercials, and people were like, this is just, you know, this is just. Dove doesn't really mean it. Dove doesn't really care if we love her. I'm like, of course Dove doesn't because one, Dove doesn't think because it's a corporation. But two, (laughs) to whatever extent you can ascribe thoughts to this corporation, all it cares about is making money. But if that algorithm has said you will make more money by giving body positive messaging, then that means that the tide has turned, right? Like, yeah. so I have always been on record of saying that like, I don't care if it's lip service. I still want you to go out there and do it. Because again, like, I don't like that this is the capitalist hellscape we live in, but we do. So I want my capitalist hellscape overlords to act appropriately. And yes, just say, we don't like this rather than yay. <laughs> So I, I guess my pop culture thing is just is just the watching this play out because right now Coca Cola is still facing criticism from the left for for taking too long to make this statement and for saying like okay so what what are you going to do about it? Like, what are you going to do to back up those words? But now that they put out the statement, they're facing criticism from the right as well, saying like, we're really disappointed that Coca-Cola would meddle and try to tell a state how to protect its own voting rights. And so I'm just, I'm watching with a lot of curiosity, fascination, and horror to see what happens next. That is interesting, right? That to say,
0: oh, you should have done more, you should have done it faster. And then I do agree that ugh, lip service in the, direction, in the direction of progress, in the direction of being on the correct side of history is something. And then I always forget, this is what I always forget, is that they do have something to lose, is that even by saying this on something that's so clearly wrong, it will make, some people upset, and they do, in theory, have
1: things to lose. Yeah, and I just, I like, I'm not at this like cancel culture is ruining America kind of thing. I don't, I don't believe that, but I do think that that we do have because of social media and the way that we can so easily create echo chambers and sense and temporary senses of belonging that we do have an outrage culture that taps into sort of this primal need to be on like the right side of some fight. And I'm fascinated by this. I guess this is kind of like a bonus pop culture thing. I'm fascinated by the way that brands and public figures have now learned to manipulate that. So like, I'm thinking here specifically of Lil Nas X I was gonna bring this up. Oh, is this your is this your pop
0: culture thing? No, but it okay. was gonna be a bonus pop culture. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this in relation to this. Yay! <laughs> bonus pop culture both ways. I uh, was we were mind melding, man, because I'm fascinated by what Nike's doing right oh now. Oh my yeah,
1: yeah. okay. So Oh, I'm so fascinated by what's happening with Nike. My husband and I were, and he's a lawyer, and we were up to dating like the legal aspects of this. So again, for those of you who are not caught up on this, and for those of you who don't spend all of your time on Facebook, what are you doing with your life? Like, um, we live <laughs> online, very clearly. So Lil Nas X of the, what was the name of this song? That was the old country Old road? town road. Old town road. Gonna um, take my
0: horse. gonna Yes, yes. Who Which had, funnily enough, People are like, my kids listen to that. And he's like, it's about lean, like calm mm-hmm. down. But but fun fact, Billy Ray Cyrus, the original Billy Ray Cyrus lyrics, do you know this? When he's like um Fendi sports bras when he's buying his wife and he says he buys her Fendi sports bras was supposed to be marijuana. It was about how much his wife loves weed. I did not know that. He didn't let him sing it. And it delights so it was bad me. that line about like... <laughs> something about need money for
1: Fendi sports bras was supposed to be marijuana oh he can't think that he's from country music they don't do that so um Lil Nas X who rose to fame from that um and then I I had to write about him for one of my ghostwriting gigs because people were like oh he's he's is he gay is he not and he he posted this like Instagram things like of I'm gay. Like, I didn't know I had to come out. I thought this was like, he was like, why is this a debate? Like, um, and so he recently created a video where he is literally in hell and seducing Satan. And, um, it has, caused exactly the reaction that he very much intended for it to. And people are just up in arms and his response to it has basically been like, I've been told that I'm going to hell for being who I am my entire life. So how are you going to be mad at me when I create yeah, a video of being, I visualized it and at the same time he, in partnership with this art.
0: Yeah. But it's a collaborative that um does like
1: limited edition, bespoke sneaker releases. So they also did the Jesus ones for the conceits behind them is that they contain a drop of blood from one of the employees. And so they are a pair of Nikes. Like they really are Nike shoes that have been modified to include like there there's red along the bottom. Apparently there's a drop of blood in them. Um, and there's like a pentagram on the laces and so, like, they, I mean, they clearly have a distinct look, and then stitched under the side is the um, is a Bible verse that is about Satan falling from the sky, and so the the reference to it, not the actual verse. The, but Nike is suing that art collaboration and saying that they're hurting Nike's brand because people have been saying, well, I'm boycotting Nike. I can't believe Nike agreed to do this. And Nike's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We did not agree to do this. These are not, we did not put these shoes out. But nobody ever said Nike put the shoes out, right? Like this would be like yeah. if someone was selling a souped up Mitsubishi that they had put on a bunch of aftermarket effects on and had given it all of this, you know, detailed custom treatment, and then they were selling you that in the ad, they would still call it a Mitsubishi because it is, but what they're selling you and why it costs so much more than it would have if you were buying it retail is because of the custom additions that they put on it. And so I'm fascinated to see what happens with this lawsuit because like, obviously people who make things, they don't produce all of the raw products to make them, right? Like yeah. we we I mean if you make t-shirts with slogans on them, you usually buy the t-shirts from someone and that is how you like so I'm yeah. I'm just really interested. The to- arguments for it are interesting because Nike did
0: successfully get a restraining order. And so now the collective which is called MSCHF, like mischief I'm sure is how that's pronounced, they are not allowed to fulfill any more orders. And they argue that we've already shipped. And there was a limited edition of 666. And they said, we've we've already fulfilled them. So you can't stop us. This lawsuit um, and this restraining order are meaningless. And the argument they also made was, these are for sneakerhead collectors. They know what these are. They're not buying them because they are Nikes. They're buying them because of what we did to them. They're going to display them. And then speaking of Old Town Road, the people arguing for Nike showed a picture from Miley Cyrus's Instagram of her wearing them to say no people will wear them. Look, she's wearing them. That's displaying them. (laughs) I know, I know, which brings fascinating discussions. (laughs) Like what is Instagram? It's not real life. But what really interests, interests me is when they made the Jesus shoes, which had like a, um, the Bible verse was Jesus walking on water in the storm and calming the storm. It had a drop of holy water from Jordan, Lake, Jordan, Lake of Jordan, I think. And then um, looked in jelly, And that also was a collaboration that sold out fast. They said they got a lot of requests from like youth pastors and mega church pastors saying, I need these sneakers. Nike didn't fucking sue
1: them then. Like, I just keep coming back to like the souped up car metaphor, right? Like I could drive my souped up car, but I still like, because somebody was like, well, they use the word Nike in the description. I'm like, yeah, because the the base shoe was a Nike shoe. Like the same way, like I'm allowed to resell something that I own. If you resell it, you need to use the name of the thing. Like if I just put, hey, I have a car, you're not going to be like, well, I mean, am I going to buy that car? I don't know. You, you tell what make and model it is and like the extra things that I have done to it in customization. Like, I don't, I just don't, I feel like what happens next in this lawsuit is going to have some precedent that will be really interesting.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Also, I do want to mention, and, and Lil Nas has talked about this. It's a great music video. Oh, I love that music video. And, but FK Twigs, who I also love, and she has great music videos. She had a music video lately that had a Kara Walker um, Fons Americanis artwork in it, which just made me so stoked. Directly, directly takes imagery from this FK Twigs music video. And she brought it up. She got frustrated. And Lil Nas X went, oh, oh yeah, that's where I saw it. And so I think that imagery is open enough, right? Imagery of heaven and hell and stripper poles is all very open and it's in the zeitgeist and in the imagination. And so I just wanna um, put that out there to also go watch FK twigs her music video, which is the same topic. I can see why she's frustrated, but I don't think Lil Nas like ripped it off really. I can see both sides.
1: Which oh, yeah. I think is an interesting parallel with this conversation about like, yes, the yes. physical, the physical, like who owns what and what modifications have you done to it versus the creative, and it just makes me think about like the recipe thing because you know you can you you can't yes. um you can't copyright a recipe right like you you're not a, like the actual ingredients and the way you put them together cannot be copyrighted because you can't copyright a process, so that's why you get the like. 16 pages of the person's life. And you know what they, cause the, cause that part is theirs and that's what makes it individually theirs. But the actual recipe, the part we're all really there for, you could just take and put on your own thing and you don't have to credit them, which feels a little icky to me. Like, I, I think that there, I think there is often um like a cultural backlash for it, but there's not a legal one, right? Like yeah, if you steal a recipe Um, and that's also true for things like, um, processes, like this happens in the self-help community a lot, like the self-help books, because like, you can't technically copyright, like some of those formulas they give you for a successful life or whatever it is. Um, so you'll see the same concepts Mm. being, being like put forward in different books and it, it feels really not okay to me for these people to just kind of take someone else's ideas and, and copy them through like that. But it gets to the point where you can't really tell where something originated, unless you're really really well versed in the self-help deep dive.
0: Yeah. It's the same for fashion too, right? It's, it's almost impossible to copyright any sort of fashion thing, which is why you get the fast fashion trickle down. And yeah, no, that's interesting. I almost feel like I don't want to do my pop culture now because that was good. That was good. I just want to make like a little Naz X my pop culture. But okay, okay. Let's preface this by saying I'm going to talk about something I watched and it wasn't Atlanta. And I'm sorry. so can we all
1: have a moment where we shame Catherine for taking time for something that is worse than Atlanta without getting to Atlanta?
0: do you feel sufficiently shamed i feel sufficiently shamed i am gonna say um the reason there's i had no interest in watching this i'm gonna blame you for this show. no i'm not blaming you um the reason i watched this was i did take michelle's advice to watch judas and the black messiah which was beyond amazing so good I cried through the last third of it nonstop and it had Lil Ray Howery in it which do you know who that is he was in um get out he's the friend in get out that kind of saves the day in the end oh yeah yeah did you know he was in Judas and the Black Messiah no he's very disguised he's in the hat he's in the bar he gives him the poison That was him? Yeah. Ah, I would not have made that connection. So at the end of Judas and the Black Messiah, I needed needed something just stupid to watch. It's like when I was little and I would scare myself with tales from the crypt. And then my brother and I always watched the Brave Little Toaster afterwards to get to sleep. So I probably sort of just sat in it, but I needed a Brave Little Toaster moment. It was late at night. I wasn't going to get to sleep. I was just... Anyway, anyway, go watch Judas and the Black Messiah. That's my actual recommendation. But I had Lil, Ray, Lil Rel Howery on the brain and I turned to Netflix. I can't believe I watched it. I'm, recommend, I'm recommending it. Um, do you know who Eric Andre is? No. Okay. Um, I wholeheartedly endorse Eric Andre. And Eric Andre is mainly known for his show On Adult Swim called The Eric Andre Show, and it's a absurdist show, and it's very stupid sometimes, it's very funny sometimes, but I often find myself watching it and comparing it most closely to, like, 1980s video art, like Paul McCarthy. It's such a good show. That's not what I'm talking about. The number one movie on Netflix right now is called Bad Trip, And it's an Eric Andre movie with real Howery. And so I said, well, I just watched a movie he was in. I'll watch this This as my um, palate cleanser. And basically it's from the producers of Jackass. And it is one of those prank movies like Bad Grandpa, like Jackass. Except the way it is advertised makes it look much grosser and much, much, much,
1: much stupider. And anyone who's seen a trailer- it looks stupider than Jackass. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm trying to even like wrap my head around what would have to. I am not like I just like that kind of slapstick humor and scatological humor. It just is so I just do not get it. Like, I'm not even like standing in judgment. I just don't get it. Like Oh, me neither. I hate <laughs> it. I hate it.
0: I hate, hate gross out humor. It's not my thing. I also hate prank shows.
1: I hate prank things. I yeah. hate it. It's April Fool's Day as we are. Oh, referring. I hate it. You know, like I feel oh. so bad because my daughter's been trying to do like these very lighthearted like <laughs> April, and I'm like, and I just like just glare at her. I'm like, I hate I I'm just not I'm not doing nothing
0: it. drives me more insane than like websites doing April Fool's articles.
1: They tricked Especially- me thinking they were making a Trader Joe's near me one year. I have oh. never I'm just so mad. They're never funny. And they're never like
0: in this world we live in where like I see a kite in the sky I'm like well aliens are
1: here right. it doesn't work I try I read it and I just believe it you didn't amuse me all you did was at best disappoint me so I hate it I hate it I
0: don't like I don't like prank movies I don't like prank shows all those like right we both came up in the era of what is, who's this prank hey, to oh yes. Ashton culture punked. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate them. They make me deeply uncomfortable. I don't think they're funny. I've never, ever gotten it. So, so why not watch a whole movie like that? Why not watch a whole movie of it? Um, actually what I meant to do was I'm like, I'm going to watch 15 minutes of it and go to bed. Those 15 minutes were so fascinating, fascinating to me. Then I paused it and said to my, my spouse, we're going to watch this whole thing tomorrow night, right? And he went, oh, yeah. Um, it is scatological. It is humor of just, it makes Jackass look so clean and so smart. And it is pranks the whole time. And yet, and yet i I had a blast I enjoyed every second of this stupid movie and if anyone knows me and you go watch this trailer those two things are not gonna go together they're not gonna click there are several things about this movie that were kind of magical to me the way they made it in this day and age where like you said um Miley Cyrus wearing shoes on Instagram isn't wearing them that's not real life it's, it's so hard, I would think, in this day and age to make a prank movie, right? I think as soon as people start doing weird things, a lot of people would assume, would look around for the cameras. Right. We know this. We, we are living on television. We're living online. We're living on screens. We know we're- Half all the time, I'm hoping failed. it's a prank because that's the only way things make sense. Right. Um, You know, there's so many shows where people are running around with a microphone and saying, do this, do this. I think the expectation is more times than not, we're probably going to be in someone's photo. We're going to be in some video. So the fact that this could be made at all, and this has genuinely shocked, genuine human reactions in it. And I think the fun of the movie was watching it and figuring out how they made it. Especially it stars Tiffany Haddish, who's like a huge movie star. How do you have her running around in public and people not going, wait, I know who you are. There are some like genuinely people just being good in the world in a way that I needed to see and was not expecting. Shockingly, like RogerEbert.com gave this a 3.5 out of 4 stars. Hey, that's not, yeah, This was well-reviewed by major things. So I'm not alone here in this like horrible movie, which should be horrible. Um, I'm going to read Bill J. Abira's review from Vulture, um, parts of it. He says, bad trip, however, doesn't really take aim at its unwitting bystanders. More often than not, the movie is a closed circuit of idiocy, whereby the actual actors act like buffoons with each other, leaving everyone else, all the real people as it were, to just observe and react, or in some cases not. And weirdly, it's refreshingly free of cynicism. Most of the bystanders in the film seem to be helpful, tolerant, sensible, which seems downright shocking at a moment in time when we've all been told that we hate each other's guts. Bad Trip might be a dumb, gross, candid camera comedy, but don't be surprised if it makes you feel a little better about your world. And it did! Uh And then here's the end of that review. I don't want to oversell Bad Trip. If it doesn't make you laugh, chances are it will annoy the shit out of you. But its generosity toward our fellow humans can, at times, be genuinely moving.
1: You know, generosity towards our fellow humans will make me forgive quite a bit in a film. So, Um, I mean, I, I like the description of having the marks, so to speak, reacting to your own tornado of absurdity rather than trying to catch them in it. So there are some scenes like that where they're just out in public spaces, but there are some scenes,
0: especially at the start, that get genuinely human reactions of being horrifically frightened. Um, And in some ways it's funny But then you have to think through how they did it. And this is what I really liked about this, was seeing like how the magic trick was done. Cause like I said, it's so hard. Um, They said that there are four actors in it and there are no reaction shots that aren't real, period. If you are seeing anyone but those four actors, they didn't know that this was a movie. But there are these things they do where again and again, when they're not out on the street in public, They clearly stage a house that they need to do something in and then have cleaners come. Like clearly they just hire a maid service. And then that's who they have react, which is really interesting to me to say, how can we get people in a space that we have to set up, right? There has to be breakaway glass. We need a million cameras. Whose reactions are we going to get? Clearly they've said, Hey, I need my house cleaned, come at this time. And then they do the filming and the reactions are amazing. It's very interesting to watch. Clearly the people have signed releases and are okay with it at the end. I do kind of feel weird about it, but it's a fascinating trick of a way to make it work. And it reminds me of, um, there's an academic named Sarah Sharma who wrote a really good book called In the Meantime. And it's about certain kinds of precarious labor where for the majority of that labor is waiting, is that your labor is to sit and wait most of the time so that people who are right, we think of our world as busy, busy, busy on the run, but who has to sit and always be waiting so that those busy, busy people can be busy, busy. And she writes about um, just workers who adjust their temporality to our like Western 24 seven work schedules, like call center workers in other countries. Um, She talks about like yoga at work programs, who teaches the yoga at work. But the best chapter in that book is about taxi drivers who like sit around and are waiting and waiting until they pick someone up. And this just made me think about how then these kind of like cleaning services become that on steroids, but then if you can use them, not even because you need cleaning, but you just need bodies and they're just available
1: bodies. It's just, I think- Wow, that is really, as you were talking about that, it made me think about um, the other night we ordered, we ordered food from Postmates and our Postmate texted us and was like, Hey, I just got to the store and they said that they're really behind. It's going to be a 40 minute wait. Do you want me to cancel your order? Or do you want me, do you want me to go ahead and get it? And I was like, no, we'll still take it. Thanks. And then I, like, after I said that, I was like, man, that means that driver, like, is that driver now just stuck waiting for that food and can't pick up other orders. And like, so I ended up tipping extra. Cause I was like, so like <laughs> I got worse service, not for the dri- driver's fault. Right. But like, it was a delayed order that I tipped extra on because I was like, like basically that driver, he probably lost out on money that he had been counting on that night because he waited for my order. And yeah, so as you were saying that, that was the first thing that came to my mind is like, I basically, you know, I didn't want to go wait in the store. So yeah, there's so this labor that i his. yeah, And you I was also thinking about day. how many people who have not been allowed to work from home during the pandemic, a lot of them, their job is to like, oh, you need to physically be here in case these packages are delivered, or you need to physically be here in case somebody comes in to do this. So like a a lot of that work is also essentially waiting, right? Like being able to be there in the right moment, that kind of, uh, Kairos of it, right? Like, capturing the moment in need, yeah, but that yeah. requires being present to experience something that can't necessarily be predicted. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I can say I recommend it,
0: but I am going to totally agree with that. I don't want to oversell Bad trip. If it doesn't make you laugh, it will annoy the shit out of you, but it's generosity towards our fellow human beings is genuine, genuinely moving. <laughs> Oh, Abe, if you watch nothing else, watch watch any opening scene montage of the Eric Andre show. And Atlanta. And Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew. I'm like, I watched a jackass punked movie. I'm like you have Atlanta. <laughs> I feel like I'm walking into a classroom and I had a 10-page paper due. And a 10-page paper due. And I'm like, look at my Play-Doh man. <laughs> okay so speaking of homework let's talk
1: about research so my research thing I I got I fell down a rabbit hole but I fell down it too late to to do it as much justice as I wanted to so I'm going to start speaking with the caveat that I feel like I need to do more to do this
0: fairly. I mean, my trilogy's over; yours can st- just begin. But this is
1: just so depressing that I don't know if I uh. want to read really. it. <laughs> All right. As I've mentioned before, I'm a homeschooling parent, and um, I, you know, a lot of us. A lot of the homeschooling community, we kind of share responsibilities and duties by like kind of creating these little informal co-ops where we'll teach each other's kids and that way our kids still get to like talk to other kids and those sorts of things. And as you can imagine in the pandemic, that's been difficult. So one thing we've been doing is we have a um, weekly reading group where the kids get together on Zoom and we discuss nonfiction books with them um, that we're reading. Like usually we read them for like a month or two months, depending on how long they are. And the parents take turns being the people people to like step in and, and do the discussion. So the book that we are on right now is um, another graphic novel. Lots of graphic novels right now um, is Primates by Jim. I'm going to say Adoviani. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And Morris Wicks. It is um, it, it is a New York Times bestseller. It is really cute. I think you can I'm gonna hold it up for you to see. It's oh, very cute. So Ooh, is, I
0: like that it has things in between the. Yes,
1: experiment. yes. It's very well done as far as graphic novels go. Um, and it is for, it's for middle school aged children. So trying to keep that audience in mind. Um, and it is the story of Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, and I think her name is Berute Galdikas. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, and so these are three women who are kind of credited with what we know about primatology. Uh, they worked under Leakey, and who is kind of a controversial figure himself. All of this work has is deeply rooted in colonialism because these were just people who were kind of sent into. So they are often held up as these kind of patron saints of conservation and wildlife protection. Um, I also watched with my daughter after we read the section on her, we watched Jane, the documentary on Jane Goodall. It's currently, it's from National Geographic and it's currently on Disney plus. And I thought that that was really enlightening and did, did touch on some of the like issues of it a bit, but um, she's not nearly as prob- problematic. My research thing is about Diane Fossey. I did not know, do you know much about Diane Fossey? Okay. no. So Diane Fossey is uh, best known for her work with gorillas. Jane Goodall is mostly known for her work with the chimpanzees. Um, so Diane Fossey worked with gorillas. Gorillas in the Mist is her book in the name. Oh, yeah. she's Gorillas in the Mist. Gotcha. Yes. yes. Um, she is a very complicated figure historically. So in the book, again, for middle schoolers, written as a graphic novel there are some sections what kind of complicated are we
0: talking we're talking margaret sanger complicated we're talking we'll we'll get there okay be prepared michelle's lips are super pursed i'm very excited
1: it's um it's not great all right so the way that they depict it in this graphic novel designed for middle schoolers is that she's just kind of just shown to be sort of a grumpy person right like she's just sort of like I don't want to be around people I want to be around gorillas and um in there they do show loosely that she got mad at some of the natives for farming on the land where the gorillas were and and telling them that they should have fewer cows And there's a little bit of a discussion in here about they're like, well, you know, they use the cows for food and they need to eat. And like, so just kind of shows her as clueless a little bit to like understanding the relationship between the people who lived on the land she was using and the gorillas. Um, But she does find a, so I'm going to show you the panel. I know that you all listening as a podcast can't see it, but maybe you will hear Catherine's reactions. She (laughs) finds what they depict is just sort of like a slipknot rope on the floor of the forest. And she's like, oh, question mark. You can see her the sort question of question mark. A, and she takes it what back to, speak it? to her guide, who is an, a native, like somebody who lives there, and basically explains to her, like, oh yes, poachers set those. And she's she gets mad. And they show her, uh, they depict her as destroying poachers' traps in the in the book. So like here. This is what they, they depict her doing is finding a poacher trap and tearing it down. Yeah. Right. So you yeah. know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course you yeah. would do that, right? You're protecting your gorillas. Looks
0: very on the up and up in that well-drawn cartoon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, yes.
1: So in I'm I'm going to read to you what it says about her anti-poaching work. On the official Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund International page. So this is her web page. Her website's account. Okay. Even, even as Diane celebrated her daily achievements in collecting data and gaining acceptance among both the mountain gorillas and the world at large, she became increasingly aware of the threats the gorillas faced from poachers and cattle herders. Although gorillas were not usually the targets, they became ensnared in traps intended for other animals, particularly antelope or buffalo. Diane fought both poachers and encroachment by herds of cattle through unorthodox methods, wearing masks to scare poachers, burning snares, spray painting cattle to discourage herders from bringing them into the park, and on occasion, taking on poachers directly, forcing confrontation. She referred to her tactics as active conservation, convinced that without immediate and decisive action, other long-term conservation goals would be useless as there would eventually be nothing left to save. These tactics were not popular among locals who were struggling to get by. Okay. Okay. Slightly more complicated
0: picture, right? That that would be a different cartoon.
1: Unorthodox.
0: painting cows, burning things. That doesn't look pretty in a cartoon panel. I want to know more about these direct confrontations. Are you sure? Uh, No, absolutely not. I'm having a sad day. I cried at a movie and then watched a prank
1: movie last night until 2 a.m. On one occasion, her and her associates captured and stripped a poacher, laid him spread eagle on the ground, and lashed his genitals with nettles.
0: Okay, that, uh, no, yeah. It's, it's gonna get worse. No,
1: and also I knew this
0: is where we were going. Gosh, darn it. He tapped
1: into the local cultural beliefs about black magic and used sleeping pills to convince them that she was using black magic on them as a form of psychological torture. When she believed that a poacher had taken a baby gorilla, she kidnapped his son. What? The reports that I read were mixed on what happened next, because so many of the reports focused on how well she treated the child while he was kidnapped. What? No, um, so, so she kidnaps a, a,
0: she kidnapped a baby. And most of the things you can find in your research is how good of care she took of the baby she kidnapped.
1: It comes up in, especially like anything that was written contemporary to when it was happening in the 1970s. Like, and that child, he said that he wanted to stay with Miss Diane and I'm like, like,
0: I, and this is taking into consideration when you can find it written about at all.
1: So, Ugh. I I want to dive deeper into this because right before we actually like, I was like, oh, it's time to do because so I, I had gotten this far into it, and um, I have some thoughts that I want to say for like why. I mean, obviously, this in and of itself is interesting, but I also have some thoughts on like what it means for history and how we how we tell history, how we teach history, especially since like what got me into this was a a children's, a book aimed at children and like what should they have done instead? Um, So like that's that's my research thing. But in kind of prepping for that, I found this article that I need to read more closely before I can really talk about it in detail. And I don't know if I'll do that on this show or not, but it's certainly something that I'm going to do. So this is an article from Vanity Fair published in 19... 80 no 1995 1995 and um so i don't know if so diane Fossey was murdered brutally murdered with a machete in rwanda where where she was station sta- where she was stationed with these guerrillas and um it's to this day a mystery for who exactly killed her uh, one of her associates was found guilt. Two people who like worked with her. One of them had been fired and one of them was someone she had berated a lot. So like they allegedly had this like motive. So, um, they were charged with her murder. One of them fled to the United States and never faced any consequences as far as I can tell. And then the other one hung himself in his jail cell. Um, and some people don't think that he hung himself. Oh, that was like a state killing yeah so so there there is there's rumors that she was killed by government officials rwandan government officials there's rumors that she was killed by the poachers because obviously they would have had um motive to kill her there's so and to make this even more complicated as if this is not complicated enough yeah the book again for middle school children's cartoon book mentions that let me let me see how they put it in here July 7th, 1967, other problems to deal with first though, been told to leave Congo by the park director, white people no longer welcome in the country. So here she is grumpy and packing her bag because she's been told to leave the country. And then this just says, according to the bad situation of our Congo, which started the other day before yesterday, I would advise you to get out of the bush as soon as possible Um she says that the president told her that she had to go soon found myself trapped in a huge castle built by the Belgian colonial administrators for my safety. Bah. And there's a little thing. Bah. Oh, cause she's cranky. Why are they making her look like a princess in a tower? Okay. But while she was held in this tower, apparently she was tortured and sexually assaulted. Bah. So I know, I understand why they didn't put that in the children's Well, book.
0: yeah, but why?
1: <laughs> you, we have got, you got to do a part two at least
0: because we need to have a much longer discussion about how and like, because my immediate question is why even make this? But Like the answer isn't to not teach people about people. Oh, this is so
1: complicated. Oh, so this this article, I knew it was earlier than I thought. This article that I was reading from Vanity Fair is actually from the 1986 one. I think they just pub re- I'm trying to, it has two dates on it. It has 1986 and 1995 on it. But I would be willing to bet that most of this text is from 1986 because again, it's a very long article and I have not read it deeply enough yet. But the way that they describe the different people living in Rwanda, like the different, the, the native populations of Rwanda is very gross to me. Like it's very, uh, and you know, like, so if it, if it was written in 1986, that was prior to the Rwandan genocide. And I just like, the more that I try to just think about this story, the more complex that history gets and the messier it gets and the you uglier it gets. You need two. Also, have you heard what happened to like the Hotel Rwanda guy
0: lately? No. Oh, well then that, you should add that to your research. This
1: sounds like very it's depressing research. wild.
0: The person who the, um, um, that movie Hotel Rwanda is based on. Wild things, wild things, wild story weave it in. I don't know. I don't know that I need that. All right. But anyway, (laughs) you said you were doing this, whether it came on the podcast or not. So you might as well take me with you.
1: So my official, my official research thing for at least today is just this complicated feeling on how do you tell these stories specifically to children, right? Because I am, and the thing that this made me think of the most, this is what I really wanted to talk about till I fell into this Vanity Fair article and got really like just even more like I don't, just more confused by it, right? But um, I am homeschooling my kids, so I have control over which narratives they get and don't get in a way that I wouldn't if they were attending the public school. And so we have used a lot of materials that have been like, you know, telling the perspective of American history through the eyes of the people who were colonized, right? Telling the the story of slavery through the perspective as much as possible, since we didn't do a good job of keeping those records or giving the people their their voice in a way that we could maintain. But at least through consideration of what it would look like from the perspective of someone who was enslaved, right? Like I very much not trying hard not to just tell history through the eyes of the person who, had the power in any particular dynamic. Right. And um, we were, I've been reading um, Howard Zinn's young people's history of the United States with my daughter, but the thing, I didn't know there was a young people's history. Oh, nice. is. but the thing that I've noticed about so many of those, those resources that are great resources, but they assume that you already have a standard understanding of American history From the perspective that so many of us got it right, so so they kind of universalized power perspective. So they take they take a kind of stance of like correcting the record, but when you're teaching someone who doesn't have the record, yeah, it's like teaching from inside the gaps without the things around the gaps is really. And so I just I have had a really hard time figuring out how to teach history because like I don't want to teach. The perspectives of power just to say, and now let's dismantle those perspectives of power, but maybe you have to but how do you how do you dismantle them if you were never taught
0: them in the first place? Yeah. This is something I keep I'm sorry to always take it back to my art history teaching, but sometimes I get flack for teaching the canon and still talking about the canon of Western art history, but I and teaching the theories and methods, but I deeply believe. I want to dismantle them. I want to expand them. But if you don't know, if you don't know them, if you don't know those tools, if you don't know what you're fighting against, you don't know, you can't, I don't think you
1: can do it as effectively.
0: Um, And also, it
1: just doesn't have the meaning behind it, right? Like, even if you go through the motions of saying, like, this was wrong, if you haven't, like, you're not actually dismantling it if you're getting both of them at the same time, right? Like, the the tension between them is not- No, that's how you forget.
0: That's how we all become generation after generation forgetting
1: our history
0: and being like, I didn't know. And, and by, by teaching the gaps, you don't forget history. Right? Like trying to teach from different perspectives is not the same sort of history teaching that will erase those things, which is an active kind of teaching of history that's a problem that's a different problem I hadn't really thought of, but that's so much. Oh my gosh, Michelle. Again, not only are your kids eating your beans, but you're You're responsible for teaching your foundation responsibly.
1: (laughs) Oh goodness. (laughs) I don't, I mean, it's just like, I don't know what the right answers are. I'm actually, I'm going to take a a class with one of the people who teaches on my platform is, is doing a parent class on historical thinking. And I'm, I'm going to take that class with her in the hopes that this helps me answer some of these questions because I'm just not sure how to do it. I, I'm not going to say right because I don't think there is a right. Right, yeah. There's, there are wrongs. I think there are probably <laughs> lots of wrongs. Um. But just well or fair or like... Least damaging? Least damaging, most potential for growth i don't like i i yeah it's yeah
0: there's also um a people's art history of the united states is there that's when i teach american art history that's the i use that as my textbook it's really good oh it's my turn it's your turn you keep talking about these amazing things and i'm like i've talked enough I don't, I don't. Okay. So my snowman trilogy is over. I promise. I've been doing actual research. I've been doing some work. So it's requiring me to look at an artist who I love. And I didn't think I would get to write about because it's um, for a special edition on sports. I'm trying to make this old essay fit into a new essay under the theme of sports, which is not something I write about. So I said, well, what's an artwork I love that has anything, something, anything to do with sports? And I remembered one of my favorite works of arts by my, oh, I don't know, maybe my favorite of all time, Australian artists. Definitely top two Australian artists. That's,
1: whose very, name, that's a very
0: specific list. Top three, top three, maybe, um, if not favorite. Australian artist, whose name is Richard Bell. And Richard Bell was born in 1953. He is a member of the Camilla Ray tribe. And the first work of his I ever saw is the one I'm currently writing on, which is called Us, Uzi, Us versus Them. And it is so funny. And it's indicative of a lot of his work, which is super glib. Glib is one of my favorite adjectives in the world. And he is a glib, glib artist. My daughter asked me what glib meant today. (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> mind melding. Oh, I love it. I was once called a gliberty gibbet. I think I've said this before by my editor. My editor, um, refers to me as gliberty gibbet. I love it. So I would say Richard Bell's glib and this, this work that I'm trying to make about sports in it. He is, um, getting ready for a boxing match. That's and sports. My, Yeah. Sports is boxing. This was an essay about wrestling tangentially. So I'm like, well, boxing, it's wrestling, realistic. One-on-one um, conflict, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, t- <laughs> it turns out while I worked on it today, I decided it was actually an essay about um, the future of Marxism and infighting. And so it's not even going to this journal. It's going to a different journal and it has to be become a, a bigger essay. And in part, I know I'm off topic, I'll get back on topic. In part, that is because Thank you again. You're aiding in my research. You had me watch Judas and the Black Messiah. I got obsessed with reading all the speeches of Fred Hampton. And I read um It's a Class Struggle, goddammit, which is just amazing. He delivered it at um Northern Illinois University in 1969. Go read it. I'm gonna link it in the show notes. This is um a video artwork where Richard Bell is gearing up for a boxing match against a archetypical white Australian man. And so the whole thing, the white Australian man is like getting ready. He's training real hard. He's sweating. He's yelling things like, this is a fight for all Australia. And like, I'm not going to let you win. And I'm so angry. I'm not a racist. I'm fed up. You're just going to buy a house to burn it down. And um, in the middle of it, Richard Bell is like, I am gonna buy a new house just to burn it down. And so the training montage is this guy's sweating it out and Richard Bell is in a suit surrounded by beautiful women, not training at all. And basically just laughing at this guy and being glib. And um, so basically I really love this artwork because it's really stupid. It's really funny the acting by richard bell is hilarious but ultimately it's you know it's 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 making the argument that these two men are not even in the same fight right this ring constructed by um you know just western culture and western imperialism it's not a fair match they're not having it's not the same stakes it's a very smart work and a very stupid package that is what richard bell does best. And he also has these, he's just such a good way to teach certain concepts in art history that I really love. He makes really big paintings that say things like Aboriginal art, it's a white thing, or there's no such thing as Australian art. There's no such thing as Western art. And so he's making these really interesting arguments about how art um, is categorized, how art is made, how um, institutions of power are constructed, but he's so funny about it. And he's such a funny person and I love him. And I'm so happy I get to research him again. I'm going on and on, but I just want to introduce everyone to Richard Bell. He has so many great works. He is a contemporary Australian artist. He lives and works in Brisbane. One year he caused a lot of controversy, not for like all these like statements about Aboriginal Australians versus white Australians, which is actually very funny because he's also an activist who had been arrested a lot. And he said that he said, I found out I could say whatever the fuck I wanted in art and not get arrested. So he kind of argues he became an artist so he could still do his protests, but people wouldn't arrest him. They would just pay him. There's something in Australia, in Sydney, at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. This is a huge deal. And this is what actually made people really mad at him called the Sulman Prize. And they have the Sulman Prize, the Archibald Prize and the Wynne Prize. Everyone looks for, everyone, people who like art look forward to it all year long and you go and you look at all the entrance and you see who wins. So the Win Prize is for landscape. The Archibald Prize is for portraiture. And he actually won one year for a self-portrait in that. And the Sulman Prize is for kind of anything else. And so they always have famous people in the art world judge each category to see who wins. He was chosen to be the judge for the Sulman Prize one year. And he chose who won in in 2015 by a coin flip. And it made people so, so mad but I think it's very funny. And again, still making smart commentary about the art world. Oh, it made me love him so much. This does tie all together. Go look into Richard Bell. Us, UZ versus them is actually on YouTube. You can find it really easily. It's a two minute video. I'll link it, I'll link it in the show notes. But I found out something really cool and I was trying to write this article and I was thinking a lot about Fred Hampton's speeches And it was making me think through things that Richard Bell was saying. And then I found out that Richard Bell is a longtime collaborator with Emory Douglas, who was the artist and minister of culture for the American Black Panther Party from 1967 to 1980. And they now make most of their artwork together. Oh, So that was a cool little tie up. And now I'm trying to... Do something with all of that.
1: Isn't that and the most rip- fun part of your, of a research project? When you're like, look at all, like, I, I feel like, uh, was it, what are, what are the birds that collect all this? Is it like magpies? That yeah. Like, the shiny thing. All these shiny things I have brought into my nest. And then you, you don't, you have to stop being a magpie and go like, what do I do with them? And yeah. So I, that's my favorite. Now, thing. Yes. I have all the shininess. Now i got to build my nest. <laughs> we'll Which see. I mean, that's, kind of what we do on this podcast in a sort of you know like tongue-in-cheek way right like <laughs> yeah let, let us bring all of our little
0: shiny now <laughs> what, what? oh maybe we should switch from fortune cookie to now's the nest Yes. here's our nest of words which is kind of like a fortune cookie fortune <laughs> well that's a very good segue michelle <music> Howdy. Boy, howdy! What are we gonna do? I've, I've got it. You said it. You said it. And your I, I thought this was the hardest one so, ever. I, oh, Michelle, I'm having a little friend. trouble
1: connecting the weird things. But, okay. but lay it on, lay it if, on me. If, if I looked like I wasn't listening to you, it's because you said this phrase, and my brain was like, "That's it. That's that's it. That's where. That's what the whole." And then I was sitting there going through each one. Um, so you said you're not in the same fight, and I think that's it. <gasps>
0: I'm typing it. I like it. You're not in. I might use it for my article. (laughs) Footnote: Michelle Parinello, agreement. This date. Um. Oh, I'm gonna. Oh, have you heard of academics who like challenge each other to do weird things? I am gonna find a way to cite our podcast in an academic article. (laughs) This might be it. This might be the one. Okay. Let's work through it. I love it. Okay. That's a fortune cookie. You're not in the same fight.
1: I'm going to start at the bottom because I think that going from the bottom up, there's really clear threads. And then when I get to the weird things, I start to be like, I'm not quite sure here. So okay, let's so recap. We'll start,
0: we'll start, we'll snowball this. We'll start little and then we'll get stronger and stronger. So by the end, we have the power to make it work.
1: So let's recap what, what we are connecting. So my weird thing was my anxiety and
0: my toothpaste. My weird thing was the fact that a lot of large apartment buildings are connected through the bathroom mirror and you can
1: break in that way. My pop culture thing was Coca-Cola and Delta responding to Georgia voting rights. My pop culture was
0: Eric Andre's bad trip and not watching Atlanta.
1: My research thing was Diane Fossey's very complicated and controversial history and more broadly what that means for how we teach history. And my
0: research thing was the artist Richard Bell, most specifically his artwork Us Versus Them, in which I literally said they're not in the same fight.
1: So obviously we know how it connects in that one because they're the his work is showing them not being in the same fight but preparing for it right um, so then i think here the Diane Fossey one was that the way that she was being presented publicly as being this like fight for the gorillas safety the actual fight that she was in was a much more complicated one. So that the fight that the public got to see was not the same fight as what was actually- is
0: many not in the same fight levels, right? Yes. That book is not in the same fight that she was actually in in her life. But she wasn't, again, she wasn't in the same fight as the people in Rwanda, right? right? Like they were fighting. I mean, we can go into all this, right? They were fighting- for their livelihoods. They were fighting for food. They were fighting to stay alive. She was fighting for her research and for an animal species she thought was worthwhile. Like that's not the same stakes.
1: No. And some, you're not you're not, not fighting time. with the same resources or, and and I am most interested in maybe this is just, you know, cause like by the time I was born, this was all in the past. But, like, I'm mostly like, you're not even in the same fight today in this space for the public discussion of it, right? Like, yeah. the myth of Diane Fossey is in a different fight than the human D- Diane Fossey was, right? Like, I, so you're just, you're, they're not in the same fight. They're in different spheres and they don't even really overlap very much, in my opinion, the deeper that I dig oh. into this. I just, I just figured out
0: my weird thing, at least. But
1: I don't know the Eric, Andre so much. No, 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 I got this one. I got okay, this okay, one. Okay, cool, cool. The onlookers were not in the same fight as the conflicts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, because yeah, the they whole were thing- vastly
0: different realities. Yeah. The 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 poor cleaner from Marymates was not in the same fight Eric Andre was running through that plate glass. No, and no, no. then
1: the whole thing that made it work was that those people, at least from your description, um, full disclosure, I probably will never know. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the, the way that Bad Trip, they were not in the same fight. Because from your description of it, the thing that made it work was that the onlookers got to choose whether or not they participated. So they were literally in separate conflicts until the onlookers onlookers decided, yes, I would like to step into that. Or, no, yeah. thank you. I'm Which made it a nice place. prank. Which made
0: it a different prank thing. Instead of make bringing you into the fight, forcing a fight, it let you
1: choose to be in it or not. Yeah. cola. So they, one, it's frustrating that they are in the same fight as the 1965 civil rights march for voting rights. But Coca-Cola and Delta are not in the same fight as the citizens of Georgia trying to maintain their right to vote. Coca-Cola and Delta are in a fight for their profitability and trying to play the game of who who can we afford to anger, right? Like who, where, where are we going to get the most pushback and from whom? And so that's, that's not the same fight as trying to maintain the constitutional right to the ballot. And yeah, but I think this is the classic, do you do things hard and fast and as completely and thoroughly as you can and hold the line versus the gradualist argument of, well, do you just move a little bit? You just move it slowly. And like, those are huge debates in political thought, right? Like, do we move as fast as we can, as hard as we can, because we know what is right? Or do we accept these tiny little incremental changes? And I mean, I, I was just talking to my spouse about the fact that like, I feel like I'm always on the outskirts of every single debate in every community I'm in, because my tendency seems to be like, well, aren't we all? Can I just take a little bit from this and a little bit from this? Like I am the, I like I feel like I'm the buffet style of whatever theory there is out there, and I'm like mm, it's a little tiny bit because like I do think that there are benefits to incrementalism when that's what you can achieve, but I also think that the benefits of incrementalism are used to shut down the actual pushes for more meaningful and Truly sustainable and doable change, and so I don't think that it's ever as simple as like, well, this is the way to change things. like I think that it's always this push and pull and give and take and and that it's within those complications that we actually oh, yeah,
0: revolution is never pedagogical. It can't be like, i'm going to teach you the way to do things, kids so coca cola and delta are not are in the not same in body. the same fight that works that one works. But your- my weird thing is me thinking about everyone. Like I said, I didn't want to spoil the article I'm referring to from 1987. Yeah. The murder mystery from the Chicago reader, but go read that. And my argument for not in the same fight with my weird thing is that this very weird thing where you can, the architecture of some apartment buildings means you can go in and out from people's bathroom mirrors made Samantha Hartso a TikTok star and it left this other woman
1: murdered oh they weren't in the same they shared same this fight. what we would consider a fairly weird and unique experience but definitely not in the same fight i just figured out my word thing too how it connects what is it my brain <laughs> and my reality are We're not in, not same in the same
0: fight <laughs> Oh, don't you wish you could let them know that?
1: Oh, man. I it's try so man. hard. Like, we really, it's okay to use this deodorant. It's brand new and will last two months. No, we can. I mean,
0: I li- I literally have medication to try and make that happen. <laughs> I really thought this was gonna be the hardest one ever. Quickest one ever.
1: Arguably most sad. You said it in your, like, as soon as you said it, I was like, Oh no, that's it. That's it. That's it. That was like connecting the, yeah. No. Love it. Love it. You're okay. Num nom nom. Crack it open. You're not in the same fight. You're not. But if we want to take it serious that you're not in the same fight, like the next logical step of that is, so you've got to constantly be analyzing which fight you're in, right? Like you have to constantly be figuring out where have you drawn your stakes? And last thing you may all have noticed that we did not have a grab bag today. And that's because we need your grab bag entries. So please send them to us. Do you see what we do when we're just left to our own devices? We just ramble. And if you, I will reiterate, if
0: you don't want to get on mic, just type it. Just send us a typed one and we'll
1: read it. We'll read it out. We can do that. Or if you want to come on the show, we can make that happen too. Email us and we'll schedule a time. It's easy peasy. Okay. Keep fighting good night good night Hey, whatever whenever you listen to this i don't know your fight we're not in the same fight